Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, June the 5th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, an unusually busy June weekend for the Miami Dolphins, we will unpack the Devontae Parker and Chris Chambers beef and give you my current power rankings on the Dolphins' current wide receivers. Also, what is the weakest position on this team heading into camp? And we'll get you caught up on all the content from LockedOnDolphins.com as well as Around the Fins beat. But first, I have to remind you guys to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You guys have been giving us more reviews lately. We really do appreciate that. Helps the podcast grow and get out to more Dolphins. You can give me a follow on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, the number one blog in the Lockdown Network. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Daily written content up there for you guys. As well as the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts like the Lockdown Heat podcast and Lockdown NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I don't really have any time to waste in this podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. So as you guys are listening to this podcast, whether you're at work, in the car, at the gym, whatever it is, mandatory minicamp has already begun. It starts today, started today, this morning, Tuesday morning, June the 5th. And we'll have a recap of all of that up on tomorrow's podcast with all the happenings, as well as updates on Twitter throughout the day. So you can follow me there at Wingful NFL to find out the live updates from Dolphins practice as everyone is now in camp ready to go this week. We're going to start today's show with something that trended on Sunday night on Dolphins Twitter. I already had the podcast out on Monday with Antoine Staley. You guys can check that out right now. USA Today's Antoine Staley talking about the Dolphins OTAs and just covering the team from a professional sports writer's perspective, getting his thoughts and all of that stuff. It was a very good podcast, so check that out. That was Monday's podcast. But on Sunday night, there was this feud going on between Chris Chambers and Devontae Parker, and it wasn't like it was a tweet battle. Of course, Devontae Parker was getting out there and writing a bunch of tweets and putting them out there and making himself look kind of bad. And Chris Chambers was on the Five Reasons Sports podcast, and he talked about how he became involved in this team again once he signed the deal to officially retire a Miami Dolphin. And he's been working in sports performance since he retired after the stint with the Kansas City Chiefs. And he wants to get involved back with football and the Dolphins. He talked about how he wants to be in coaching or scouting or just getting players right with sports performance, talking about how to train the body and all that stuff. So he offered some advice to guys like Kenny Stills in regards to what type of stuff you should do off the field to get yourself ready for game day on Sunday. And Kenny Stills accepted the offer for a guy that Chambers sent him talking about how Chambers says that all the guys in the league should have their own team of people working for them that are not team affiliated. So if it's not the Miami Dolphins giving you guys stuff, you should have a, your own doctor, you should have your own masseuse, and you need to have your own team of guys getting your body ready outside of the facility because there's only so much you can do within the facility and it has to be a 24-7 type of job. So he talked about the aspect of being a professional and there are so many things you have to do to get yourself right. And Kenny Stills came to him and got that advice from him. And then they tried to relate to Devontae Parker who did not 
accept the invite or the advice or whatever it was that Chris Chambers was trying to convey to him. He wanted nothing to do with it. But then he took it a step further and tweeted about it because they mentioned it on the Five Reasons Network. They tweeted out saying, these are Chris Chambers' top five Dolphins receivers right now on the team. And Devontae Parker came in at number three for Chambers. And Devontae Parker retweeted it and said, no one cares about his opinion, his being Chris Chambers. And that's kind of where the conversation starts for all of this because... You go back to what I've said about Devontae Parker over the years. You guys probably recall my tweet last spring calling him out for not being in the best shape and saying this guy's going to be one and done as far as contracts go with Miami. He tweeted back to me and told me to go fuck off somewhere. And that's really when I, I decided, like, all right, this guy, you know, he's got the talent, but I don't think he's there yet as a, as a maturity standpoint. Let's just go ahead and recap what he's been since he's been a member of the Miami Dolphins. Since he got drafted with the 14th overall pick in the 2015 draft, he started his rookie year with an injury and wasn't a factor or even on the field really until December. Year two, he misses the opening game with one of those nicks and bruises types of injuries. Then he gets dinged up several times throughout the year. And while he didn't miss any more games, he was really ineffective in a lot of those games. Remember the San Francisco game when he caught that ball on the sideline and was rolling around on the sideline in pain, holding his back. He played the next week in Baltimore, but didn't do a thing in that game. It just, he would disappear for so many stretches and you wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that he can't practice the right way or he's not healthy enough to where he can't explode off the line of scrimmage and off the stem of his route. So then he comes back for year three and he misses more games this year. So we've heard from coaches, from other players, that he doesn't have the right mindset as a football player. And I'm not really one to harp on this, but he's always recording those stupid Snapchat videos of him lip singing to songs. And I thought that was something that only 16-year-old girls did, high school girls did, and sent to their friends for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't. I didn't understand that a 22, 23, 24-year-old man was doing that kind of stuff and that it was even like an option for a man to do. So that blows me away, whatever. And then the next thing is he always talks about how much he watches SpongeBob SquarePants. And it's just like, grow the fuck up, dude. Like, what are you doing? You're a professional football player. And I get that these guys have all the time, all this downtime they can have whatever kind of lifestyle they want. I am not one to criticize what they do in their free time, but when it affects your play on Sundays and when you're not producing and there's all these reports about you not being a professional, that's when this stuff kind of comes back to bite you in the ass. And Clyde Christensen talked last year about how he had lost this edge that he developed in camp. He came into camp with this edge, like, I'm going to be the number one receiver. I'm going to pluck balls off a of defensive back's heads. And we saw it in that preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. We saw it in week one against the Los Angeles Chargers. And then he comes back and he has this entitled opinion. And I'm just thinking, where did that come from? Was it your 600 yards receiving? Was it your one touchdown catch you had last year? The point to me remains this. It's just he doesn't get it. He didn't get it when he came into the league. And this tweet towards Chambers proves that he still does not get it. Because if he got it, he wouldn't be searching his name on Twitter. He wouldn't be getting combative with all of these fans and people on Twitter. And I just don't see that he's made any changes in his life to suggest that he's going to go ahead and take advantage of all that potential, that AJ Green type of potential that he has in that body. But here we are. It's not looking good for him to start the summer, but there's plenty of guys in camp to go ahead and challenge him at that position. And I'm going to go ahead and rank those wide receivers next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Chris Chambers wide receiver rankings back on the Locked On Dolphins podcast here. He, I think he had Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Devontae Parker, Jakeem Grant, and then Danny Amendola. If I was wrong on that, you can go ahead and correct me. But I wanted to give my own rankings here because this is a group that, and I've talked about this with you guys on the podcast, on the website, that there really is a 
a hard discerning factor when it comes to finding out which of these guys is the best, who's going to get the most targets, and there's a, just a bunch of them that's really hard to separate. And for me, there's one guy that stands out from the entire class, and you guys already know this. I, I guess I'll, I'm going to say it anyway because it has to be said, but Kenny Stills is far and away the best wide receiver on this team. He is so efficient from the slot. He's so efficient from a target standpoint that he just always is making big plays, and every time you factor in his average numbers it just looks very impressive against the rest of the league from an efficiency standpoint so he has the numbers he has the production he also has the volume production in some ways he had nine touchdowns back in 2016 but you look at his tape and as you guys know I study this stuff like crazy particularly the offensive side of the football and particularly the routes ran by the receivers and the quarterback play and this is a guy that does so much to sacrifice for his teammates, to get guys open, to be in the right spot, to run with the right leverage. There are so many things going to a single football play. And anytime you watch Kenny Stills do his job, he's doing it the right way. There are certain things you have to do in regards to getting the right release. There are times when you have to release to the outside because it might mess up a guy's route on the other side of the football if you release to the inside. And Kenny Stills, he's just always operating in space in a way that creates lanes for other guys. So he is far and away the top receiver, a great human being, a great teammate, Everything you want a player, Kenny Stills is that, and I'm just so glad that he's on this football team. Number two for me is the free agent from Kansas City, Albert Wilson. I had a chance to go through all of his catches in Kansas City and watch the tape on that and just see the type of burst and athleticism that he offers from a big play standpoint, but also from the bubble screen game, the shovel pass game, the end around game, all that fun stuff that I'm hoping we see a lot more in 2018, and he just does so much with the football in his hands and he has that electrifying speed. He is a nuanced route runner. He understands leverage. He understands how to set guys up and have all of his routes look the same. And he breaks out of them so strongly and gets himself open. And he really put that on display in week 17 last year when they gave, when the chiefs gave Patrick Mahomes a start and Albert Wilson was his go-to guy. So he's number two behind Kenny Stills. Number three, this is probably where I'm going to get some pushback from some of you guys. I, Jakeem Grant, you just see it on the film with him when he gets his chances. And it was last December he got his chance against the Chiefs as well as the Patriots, particularly that Patriots game where he was taking some shots down the field. If he catches that one deep ball that he dropped, his numbers are just off the page right there. And I feel like people are going to be talking about him more. Obviously, drops are only the receiver's fault, so he has to get that fixed. But he plays with that same fire intensity. He brings it to the practice field every single day. And he, he just looks like he belongs because he has a human joystick out there. And I know he's short and undersized and everybody wants to harp on that but guys don't move like that naturally in this level and he's had his his fair share of production against the backups in the preseason and then he started showing it last year down the stretch against the number ones of the New England Patriots and some other teams as well so I have a lot of faith in him going forward number four Danny Amendola old reliable obviously not going to do anything with his physical makeup not going to blow you away with the combine type of numbers but he's so reliable catches a lot of passes and we got to see if he stays healthy. That's the biggest one for him. But getting this wide receiver core going in the right direction with all these young guys definitely falls on the shoulders of Danny Amendola and Kenny Stills. So he is number four. And I'm bringing up the rear with the GOAT of the day, not the greatest of all time, the scapegoat, Devontae Parker. Show me, man. Just show me. That's all I want to see. You haven't shown anything yet so far in your career. You've shown flashes of brilliance, but you've had far more downside to your career with missed games, drop passes, lazy routes, unable to separate against one-on-one coverage. Just show me. Show me that you're a number one wide receiver, and we can stop having this conversation. So those are my wide receiver rankings. Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Danny Amendola, Devontae Parker. Hit me up on Twitter, at NFL and let me know what you think of those. Let's go ahead and move on now to the start of Man mini minicamp, which brings me into another segment altogether. I 
you know, the mandatory minicamp is funny because they already had perfect attendance at the optional ones. So this is just basically another week of practice and everybody's saying it's the most important one, but are you really going to look back to OTAs in three, four, five months from now and just say that was the integral part of the season? I mean, I don't really recall last year's OTAs. So nonetheless, we're going to cover them, but we're going to talk about them. It's not any more important than the other ones, but I wanted to get into a segment here talking about mandatory wins and list my three favorite games that the Dolphins had to win. It was a must game, a must win situation for them. And I'm going to do it in the post Marino era because I can recite that like the back of my hand. And I just don't really know the seventies and eighties games in and out. Like I do these ones. So these are the top three must win games in Dolphins history post Dan Marino. For me, number three is a 2016 win at the Buffalo Bills on Christmas Eve. That was a fun day, man. I know it was Matt Moore and our boy Tannehill was on the sideline, but Jay Ajayi goes off. They took until almost the very end of the game into overtime to finally win that game, playing a full 72 minutes or whatever it was in that game. Andrew Franks hits the deep field goal from like 58 yards that no one thought that he could hit because he his long before that was like 45 on the season to send the game into overtime. Some missed tackles on a long Devontae Parker touchdown catch. Damian Williams has a big play as well. The defense makes it enough plays to win that game up in Orchard Park, a place that has been very tough for the Dolphins to win. And then I went over to my fiance's dad's house for Christmas Eve celebrations got drunk and was celebrating that win all night so that was a lot of fun and then Christmas night the next night the Chiefs took down the Denver Broncos to put us into the playoffs so a really fun Christmas season back in 2016 my number two game is the 2003 home win versus the Washington Redskins because they were down by I want to say it was two I know it was two scores I want to say it was like 13 points when Brian Greasy was in the game and Jay Fiedler came off the bench, injured, banged up, and led the Dolphins back to a big win to really keep their season alive in the orange uniform. So that was a lot of fun to see, even though it didn't result in the playoff berth that year. That was a must-win game. They did win it and did it in kind of dramatic fashion at the end. The number one game, this shouldn't surprise any of you guys, 2008, the Dolphins' last AFC East championship season, the Week 17 game in the Meadowlands at the New York Jets versus Brett Favre with Chad Pennington, who the Jets cut to sign Brett Favre, and Chad Pennington goes out there and outplays Favre. Obviously, the Philip Merling interception return for a touchdown, the Ted Ginn catch in the end zone for a touchdown, the Anthony Fasano touchdown, and the Andre Goodman interception to go ahead and wrap things up. What a fun, fun Christmas and New Year's season that was, getting into the playoffs, breaking an eight-year span, eight-year drought, I should say, of no playoff bursts for the Dolphins. Number three, 2016 at the Bills. Number two, 2003 at home for the Washington Redskins. And number one, the 2008 win against the New York Jets in New York for the top three mandatory quote-unquote games in Dolphins history post Marino once again tell me yours on Twitter at Wingfield NFL and we'll go ahead and move on to the next segment here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast we're going to spin it around the Dolphins beat next here on Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins all right with you guys here for one more segment talking about the Dolphins beat and there was two pieces that got written that I really wanted to bring up one was a column that Joe Shad wrote based off of a column written by Albert Breer, who wrote his first ever Monday morning quarterback piece in replacing Peter King, the legend over there at the MMQB and Sports Illustrated. He wrote a piece, and the very first segment he went into was talking about Ryan Tannehill, Adam Gase, and the Miami Dolphins. And it was a really cool segment. It's only about three or four paragraphs. I tweeted about it. I tweeted the link. I tweeted the pictures of the comments he made. So you guys can go ahead and find that on my Twitter account or just the MMQB. It is today's column Monday for Albert Breer. He wrote about 
the Dolphins' process of going through the offseason in regards to drafting a quarterback and how they Adam Gaze kept very close tabs on Ryan Tannehill and kind of massaged his ego a little bit throughout the process. And you might say, well, he's a he's a grown man. He's an NFL player. That's what this business is about. But at the same time, you want to keep your quarterback in a positive frame of mind. And Ryan Tannehill's all about competition, all about working his ass off. We all know that. But I thought it was really cool that Adam Gaze made it a point to call Ryan Tannehill every single time they had one of those meetings, one of those dinners, one of those private workouts with the player. Adam Gaze called Ryan Tannehill to say, hey, I just want you to know we're doing this. It's going to seem like we're putting a lot of effort into finding a quarterback in the draft process. And I want you to hear it from me, not from somebody else. And it just speaks to the relationship between those two guys and how crucial the quarterback to play caller, in this case, head coach. The coach and quarterback relationship is so imperative to success, obviously with Belichick and Brady, Peyton and Breeze, Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin with the offensive coordinators they've had there with Todd Haley. There's been so much great relationships in the NFL that just breed success. And you hope that's what the Dolphins are getting here. But the best quote from it was Ryan Tannehill asked the Dolphins, just please don't waste the first round pick in regards to drafting a quarterback because I'm obviously the quarterback. And if we go elsewhere, we can go ahead and make this football team better because a quarterback's not going to beat me out. So that was really cool to see. And then Joe Shad wrote an article about it. It's kind of saying the exact same thing. But then there was another piece written by everyone's favorite Armando Salguero, who I don't know if he's just mailing it in. I don't really read his stuff that often because I find it to be dense, I suppose. Um, He wrote a piece talking about how the cornerback position is the weakest position on the team. And that might be, you know, this team has a lot is spread pretty wide as far as depth goes. And it's kind of hard to find the weakest position. So I guess you can go ahead and use that if you want to harp on Xavier Howard and Tony Lippett or whoever you want to talk about. But the, the two comments that he made that really chat my ass was saying that Minka Fitzpatrick, who played a, quote, little bit of slot at Alabama, end quote, and that Bobby McCain has no business being on the outside, basically saying that he made his money on the inside and getting him on the outside will expose matchup problems. And I just read that thinking, dude, do you watch the games? Do you have any inkling of how football works? Number one, Minka Fitzpatrick was the slot corner at Alabama and only played free safety out of necessity for injury and did it very well, mind you, and can do it very well. But he was the slot corner, the quote, star position of that defense. So learn your stuff before you write that. And then Bobby McCain, I've written an article about it. I've, I've tweeted it about 100 times since McCain got his contract extension, which we can go ahead and talk about now. He gets a four-year, $27 million contract with $13 million guaranteed to make him the highest paid slot corner in the NFL. Something I talked about on Friday's podcast before it happened. Something I've been talking about all offseason as a priority. And he talked about how McCain doesn't play outside and will get exposed out there. Well, in that article, it's called Bobby McCain, Miami's All-Purpose Man. And I talk about how Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas basically were shut out in that game. And if you recall, Cordray Tankersley got banged up in that game, had to leave for a little bit. And McCain was on the outside in that game, played a little bit of too deep safety in that one as well. So he was all over the field. He is more than a slot corner. He is deserving of the opportunity to play on the outside in this defense. For my money, he's the best cornerback on the team until Xavier Howard finally grabs it and seizes it from him or Cordray Tankersley does the same thing as well. So cornerback class, I'm very, very happy with the secondary and where it's at. If it was up to me or if I had to pick right now, I should say, I would just go with linebacker because Rayquan McMillan's coming off of a season-ending injury as a rookie, hasn't played it down in the NFL. 
Jerome Baker, for my money, is the second best linebacker on the roster, also a rookie. And then you have Kiko Alonso, and then a, a, just a glut of guys that are trying to find their way in Stephon Anthony, Terrence Garvin, Chase Allen, Quentin Poling, Mike Hull, Mike McRae, and Kaysen Collins to round out the camp list. That's my weakest position on the team right now heading into camp linebacker. And I would say defensive tackles probably next in line for that. So the cornerback pick, very weird. Going after Bobby McCain, very weird. Not understanding Minka Fitzpatrick position, very weird there from Armando Salguero. So it is definitely summertime. It is definitely mail it in piece. But I did not mail it in on a piece that I wrote on Sunday night chronicling the Dolphins' entire 2018 offseason. There are four phases, talking about the strengths to build around, how they're going to do it, the type of team they want to build with a no-huddle-slash-tempo-based no offense, rotation on the defensive ends, different dime packages, more defensive backs. Check that out, LockedOnDolphins.com. It's called the 2018 Dolphins Offseason Roadmap. We have the Ryan Tannehill charting project up and running right now. Week 10 against the San Diego Chargers is up live on LockedOnDolphins.com. But that will do it for today's podcast. And I am going to go ahead and play you guys out to the newest single from my favorite band, Coheed and Cambria. So we'll go ahead and play that right now and remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the Unlocked on Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins and follow our flagship show at Locked on NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. Check out the number one rated blog, the Locked on Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a terrific rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow with another edition of Locked on Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.